Welcome back to the Monthly Alts Pulse. I'm Michael Sigmore, co-founder and partner of Broadhaven Ventures and founder of the Alt Goes Mainstream podcast. And I'm here with Lawrence Calcano, chairman and CEO of iCapital. Welcome. Thank you, Michael. Great to be here. Today, we're going to get into what's been going on in the market, cover what's been happening with investment flows, what's been interesting to advisors. But I also want to make sure we cover kind of the evolution of what's happened in the alt space. If you think about the industry, it's evolved a lot since iCapital was created back in 2013. I want to cover over the coming episodes where we've been, where we are today, and where we're going. But first, Good. before we get to that, want to know what's going on right now, given that you have such a good pulse of the market. In sure. I'd say people right now are playing defense to a great extent. Volumes are way down. I think people are naturally conservative in a tough market. They don't want to go out in the duration too far. And so I think we're seeing a lot of conservatism. But having said that, we're also seeing a lot of folks getting themselves, if you will, up to speed on and ready for an increasing amount of allocation in the future. And, and we're seeing a lot of the large advisors are coming to us and really wanting to put in place the infrastructures that will allow them to scale an alts business in the future. They're increasing the amount of educational materials available to their advisors. They're building out a compliance infrastructure to allow uh, advisors to be qualified for the presentation of alts to their clients. So I would say, despite the conservatism and the lower volumes, people are really committed, I think, to getting alts integrated into a portfolio. And a lot of folks have said to us, this type of market is exactly why I wish we were more fully allocated to alts. And when the time is right, we're going to make sure we build that allocation for our clients. How do you think advisors are thinking about balancing strategies that make sense right now versus strategies that may pay off five, 10 years from now? but these may be the right vintages to invest into. I would say that it really depends on the client. I think advisors are exceptionally good at understanding what their clients need and understanding their goals and objectives and understanding the mentality their clients have towards things like liquidity, some of the factors that are really critical in investing in this asset class. And we work collaboratively with the advisor to help allow them to have access to the things that make the most sense for their clients. I think today is a practical matter. As I said earlier, people are more conservative. So the strategies that we see most used would be credit strategies. This is particularly true when interest rates were rising quite quickly. There's inherently a hedge as a lot of the private credit strategies yep. are floating rate. So a lot of investment there. And then the other area where we've seen a lot of investment are in secondaries. Secondaries allow you to get in at a much later stage. They shorten the duration, you're past the J curve. A lot of those strategies are getting a lot of attention today. But we do see people still interested in classic growth, private equity, et cetera. I'd say venture is still fairly slow right now. And obviously a lot of people are looking at the IPO market, the M&A market. That drives a lot of the venture returns because it drives the liquidity. Well, now you're getting to where we are today, which if we think about 10 years ago, the world was in a very different place when it came to advisors understanding allocated alts, in part because they didn't have the infrastructure to do so. Some of the things that you just mentioned, you're able to help them construct a portfolio for both now and the future. Let's go back 10 years. What were things like then 
when it came to advisors having access to alts and understanding, because I really want to take the story arc where we were to where we are today and yep. the infrastructure that's underpinned that and how that evolution from a technological innovation perspective is really impacting the alt space. I think going back 10 years, you were still in the earlier stages of what I would describe as this shift or this breakaway movement where advisors were in many cases choosing to be independent advisors and leaving a wirehouse where they had grown their business. And there was a lot going on in that context, moving clients, moving investments. There were a lot of things on people's minds. The ALDS piece was certainly one of those things, but it was one of many things. Making sure they had access to alternatives, particularly for their wealthier clients, was particularly important. But because of what I would describe as a very dynamic environment, at least on the independent side, the process was slow, very slow. And I think this is part of why we've been able to be successful, is we've always taken a very patient approach. There is not a relationship of any significance, frankly, in any of our lives that happens quickly. It's just not the way things work. You've got to have patience and you've got to understand all of the pressures and objectives that your partner or potential partner might have. And so allowing them to decide on the alts platform, they had custodial decisions, they had reporting packages to decide on, and they had alts to decide on. So working with them collaboratively and then building that adoption was really important. And I would also say that as time has passed, not to jump all the way to the present, but the importance of alts as an asset class has become more and more apparent over the years. And that in and of itself drove more people to pivot to that being the key decision thing they were focused on. How important do you think was the breakaway broker movement to the independent channel in terms of driving alt innovation forward? Was that what kind of spurred on a lot of this, you think? It's a great question. When we started the business, we were more on the breakaway channel because we made the assumption that as they broke away, they were leaving behind an alts menu and all the processes I've described as part of that. But as we started spending more time with some of the banks, we realized that the banks have outstanding access to great managers, but didn't have a lot of automation. And so a lot of the automation that we've created and driven have been based on the needs of the largest banks. And some of the things we've built have been a function of what's been needed by the independent community. And I'd say that's ultimately a really important thing, I think, about iCapital in that we serve advisors. Advisors need to make their own decisions as to where and how they want to practice, whether they want to be an employee at a wirehouse. Many wirehouses are offering different strategies now in terms of the way they affiliate. They could work at an IBD, they could work as an independent. We're happy to serve advisors wherever and however they choose to practice. And everything we build, whether it was initially built for a wirehouse advisor or for an independent advisor, is open architecture and it's made available to all of our advisors wherever they're practicing. And I think honestly, there's people who try to describe a bright line in the road. From our perspective, we want to be able to offer advisors all the tools they need to serve their clients most effectively. It's hard to think about this now, 10 years later, a lot of people forget, or it's just been so long when you see all the innovation that's happened. What were some of those biggest challenges when you think about 10 years ago, 
Was it education? Was it that they just didn't have the infrastructure? What were some of those things? I'd love to hear some of the war stories. I I think it's all of the above. A lot of advisors were trying to do so many things at once. They were trying to negotiate capacity, do due diligence, figure out how to process sub-docs, how to collect capital calls. There was a lot of stuff going on. And when they set up their shops, they weren't necessarily hiring huge operational staffs. They were trying to keep the businesses leaner. And so there was an opportunity for them to sort of seek help, if you will, across the board. One of the really important things, though, is that like anything else, some advisors have different experiences than others. And so we don't mandate that if you use iCapital, you have to use all of it or you have to use these pieces or those pieces. We say, here's iCapital. You use the pieces that work for you and allow you to succeed with your clients. And in some cases, many of our advisors, whether they're on wires or independents, have outstanding diligence teams, outstanding manager access, and they don't need to use iCapital for manager access. And I can think of many large examples of independents and wires that operate that way. But they love the automation that we provide and the ability to make the sort of ownership process a lot easier. But if advisors need access, we have access and diligence, education, and we can help them throughout the whole life cycle. But importantly, we make it available and we let people use the pieces that are most effective and most helpful to them. That's fascinating because if you think about it, there's advisors who each have their own bespoke needs for their set of clients. They might have different client sizes. They might have different wants and needs. They might have different size teams, either doing diligence or operational processes. How do you go about building a platform that serves so many different clients' needs, private banks, independent channel, and enable everyone to benefit from it while also making sure as a business that you've been able to build a business that scales? Well, I think we benefit to some extent by the fact that a lot of the journey is the same. An advisor at a wirehouse, an advisor at an IBD, or an advisor at an RIA has to understand the products and what they're talking to their clients about. The clients have to understand the products. They've got to complete certain documentation. It varies by investment, but they've got to complete certain documentation, some of which is complex, and automation can play a role. There are a set of procedures that are common to all of the investments, again, wherever the advisor sits. And the opportunity is to create one platform in a manner similar to how the NASDAQ or the New York Stock Exchange create a way for people to buy and sell stocks. We create a way for people to get educated about, learn about, subscribe to, and own alternative assets wherever they are operating their business. And obviously there are some differences. People have different compliance infrastructures. People have other differences in terms of how they operate their business. And we tweak and modulate our technology to accommodate those differences. But overall, the platform, again, like NASDAQ or New York Stock Exchange, serves the industry. And by the way, not only does it serve the advisor part of the population, which is where we've been focused, it also serves the GP part of the population which maybe we'll get to in another episode. We will. We're going to do episode by episode, LP side, GP side, from where we were to where we are today. On that point, one question related to what you just said. Back in 2013-14, it was non-obvious that alts was maybe going through this market structure evolution the way that equities or fixed income did. What kind of inspiration did you take from an understanding of the equities market and how that market evolved over time from a technology perspective? And obviously with differences because it's liquid versus illiquid universes. 
How did you apply some of those inspirations and learnings to how you built iCapital and tried to help build the market structure for alts? So it's funny, ETFs, when ETFs came out, they were complicated. Who's going to use these things? There were a whole lot of concerns about ETFs, and now they're obviously very commonplace. Mutual funds didn't become as distributed broadly until Schwab put them on a marketplace. And so we think that there were lessons to be learned from those things. If you can create a place where people can learn about and transact and own an investment, you create a certain ease and ability for people to do it in a way that works within their business. So there were paradigms that we observed in the marketplace, super valuable to how we built that iCapital. The ETF example is a good one too, because we are not intimidated by people saying, well, these are complicated or these are hard. Yes, yes, but that doesn't mean they don't play a role. You just need to make sure that people are well educated and they understand exactly what that role is and have the right set of expectations as to how the products work. But the fact that they're complex isn't ipso facto, meaning that they can't invest in them. So we needed to solve some of those issues just as the community did around ETFs years ago. So I think lots of lessons to observe. The last thing I'd say, and it's continuing to be very central in terms of how we build iCapital, is while we are B2B, i.e. we serve advisors, we want our technology to be as easy to use as any B2C technology. And so the other place where we look for inspiration is how some of the best companies serve their consumers directly and try to provide some of that same functionality to the Bs, the advisors or the GPs that we serve and make it easy for them as well. What are some of those companies that you look to for inspiration? <laughs> well, all of the, the big ones. The reality is perfection isn't a thing. Lots of different companies do certain things well. So we look at all the large internet companies. We look at all the companies that have really scaled marketplaces, offering on eBay and Amazon and all those kinds of companies. What are the things they do to make the customer journey easier, more effective, et cetera? And we try to learn where we can and apply to our business that which makes sense to apply. I'm gonna push back on that a little bit is what, while yeah. I do agree that the best consumer experience is incredibly important and you want to strive for that. And even at the end of the day, your B is still a person. It's an advisor yes. who's transacting on behalf of a client. They still deal with other consumer products that they love and really enjoy yep. using. And you'd want to strive to create the same experience for that B as a consumer company would create for the direct yes. consumer experience. But I'm going to push back because I think financial services, to some extent, some of the best companies in the space, while they may have better experiences than prior, they don't need to be as good as a consumer experience to create a great product and a great service for the end customer. Would you agree or disagree well, with that? Well, I, I think I disagree because I think why wouldn't your goal be to make your product as easy to use for anyone? By the way, I'll make one other important point is that the advisor is not the only constituent that we're serving with our technology, particularly at a bank or a large independent broker-dealer or an RIA, there are lots of other people who run the alts business, people who are selecting the funds or diligencing the funds, people who are managing the operations or managing the advisors. There's a lot of capabilities and tools that we provide for them as well, 
as they serve their advisors who are serving their clients. And so there are lots of different people that use our technology every single day. By the way, there's a lot of people at iCapital who use our technology every day to do their jobs. And so I think you should try to make your technology as easy to use for everyone who has to use it to be successful. I agree. I think in financial services, we've historically seen incumbents be very hard to rip and replace, even if it wasn't the best solution because it's good enough. And either incumbents or the large challengers, once they're big enough, not to say that you well, shouldn't strive okay, for so that, if but, they're, but yes. if, they're, if they're really sticky and hard to replace, if they're good enough, imagine how sticky they would be if they were great. So why would you ever aspire to good enough as opposed to aspiring to be great? I agree 100%, especially as an investor in many early stage fintech companies who are trying to disrupt incumbents. But I just think it's something that we've seen in financial services. You should tell them to aspire to be that, great because that's how they build the deepest customer relationships. That, that's my advice to yeah. the VC. But oh, I 100% agree. Yeah. It's just been fascinating to see in financial services that that hasn't always been the case and you've still created great but, companies and categories. By the way, I'll challenge that thesis and say, if you look back over time, who thought that DEC and Wang and IBM were ever going to be replaced by the Wintel consortium, Microsoft, Windows, and Intel? And they had an incredible market position that no one ever thought they could be replaced. Everybody is replaceable, period, full stop. Yeah. It just may take some firms longer to replace because of how central they are, but if they're not delivering a great service, ultimately, they too are going to be replaced. I think the other thing on this point, which is important for technology companies and incumbents to remember, is that now you have younger people, as well as people who are older, even the boomers, all the way through millennials, Gen Zs, who are interacting with technology, even if it's B2B technology, they've grown up in the consumer internet era, where yep. they're used to better consumer experiences. So that's another really important point, which most of your totally. customers, whether they're in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, or above, they know how to use an iPhone. And that's important too. And that's an important paradigm. And also when you think about advisors today, they obviously are focused on their existing book of clients, but most advisors are also looking to continue to reach out to younger clients and build the future of their business by starting to work with people and developing a trusted relationship while those clients are younger. And to your point, a lot of the younger clients today are used to operating in a completely automated environment. And good enough for that population is not good enough. One thing I wanna to touch on on this point, because we talked a lot about this back in 2013, 2014, when building iCapital was, how do you build the desktop real estate for advisors? I think Bloomberg has done that in yep. equity markets and more liquid markets. That's, I think, part of the goal for iCapital. When you think about building the desktop real estate, does that look a bit different today than it looked 10 years ago? Because to your point you just made, a lot of people may want to do things on their phone or on the go rather than just truly on their desktop. I think the important thing to realize in any complex market environment is that if you think you can do it all on your own, you're probably not going to be successful. And so one of the premises of our whole strategy is partnering with the existing infrastructure. It, it reminds me, a lot of people over the years have said, you guys are so disruptive. And I always sort of correct them and say, we're not disruptive. 
we're enabling. We're helping people do what they want to do. And that means working with banks and RIAs and GPs. But in the context of your question, it's working with the big providers who already have that desktop real estate, who want to add alternatives into what they offer to their clients. And so we have some outstanding partnerships with firms like Investnet and Morningstar and All Funds, who've done a tremendous job building out ecosystems for their clients to succeed in. And we can help them take it to the next level by providing them an end-to-end alt solution. We always wrap these episodes up by asking what was the most memorable quote of the past month. What was that for you? Well, I'm going to make a confession. A quote popped into my head during our discussion when you asked about the desktop real estate and so forth, and I made the comment where you have to partner with people who are in the space. And there was a quote that popped into my head in that context, which was the old quote from Clint Eastwood, I think, in one of the Dirty Harry movies, which is, a man's got to know his limitations. And that popped into my head because there are things you cannot do as a business on your own. You have to partner with the right firms and succeed together. And I think that quote speaks to that in spades. Lawrence, it's been a fun conversation. It has. Awesome. Well, I'm Michael Sidgmore here with Lawrence Calcano. As always, we'll see you next time.